Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Going directly into beta, directly to the source on this episode of the Smart Home Show. Hey everyone, Mike Wolf here. Welcome to the Smartum Show. Today's guest is Philip Robb, the CMO and co-founder of a company called Beta. And as you know, if you listen to the Smartum Show, I actually talked about them and my thoughts about the concept on the last Smartum Show. But I figured I'd go directly to the source and talk to them about what they're doing and hear a little bit about their plans for the future. And it was a really good conversation. If you are someone who thinks about how people sell smart home products, or if you're someone who actually does this, if you're a startup and trying to figure out your your smart home retail strategy, this is a must listen. I mean, I think there are some real issues that I think retail needs to work through and trying to figure out how to get consumers to understand the stuff, to buy it, um, makes sense. Uh, and this goes beyond smart home. I think more broadly in the consumer IoT space, and this is really what Beta is. They're focused more broadly on consumer IT, of which home is part of it, but they're looking at wearables. They're looking at movement or automotive or transport. They have a category called play. It's a really interesting store concept. They're based in Palo Alto, and their model is completely different than traditional retail. And I think may have some at least some initial answers, so at least for some startups who are trying to figure out how they can maybe get their toe in the water from a retail perspective, or even if you're a big company and try to figure out what, how consumers respond to it. And so I talked to Philip about it. We hear a little bit of the backstory, how this whole idea came to be the Genesis of it. So it's a good one. You should check them out. Go to www.b8ta.com. That's B8, not BA, B8ta.com, beta. And you can read more about them. If you're in Northern California, you can visit them in Palo Alto. Um, and hopefully, maybe someday they'll have a store coming to your town. I asked him to come to Seattle. I don't know how if he'll do it, uh, but I put my request in. So, all right, folks, we have another Smart Home Show publishing tomorrow. It's a very special fireside chat holiday episode with some some friends in the in the Smart Home podcast space. You probably know who I'm talking about. But we'll keep it a little bit of a secret. So, because I want you to come back. Go to technology.fm or check the podcast feeds and listen to the podcast uh, because we talk a little bit about what the stories were in 2015 that made 2015 that made smart home tick. And it was a fun conversation. So I want you to check that out. First, you want to listen to this one. Also, if you want to read some of my writing about the smart home, go to smarthomeweekly.net. I just put out a smart home weekly newsletter encapsulating some of the stories of the past week or two and some analysis. A lot of the stuff I talk about on the podcast, I'll, I'll actually write about. And as I said before, I actually probably write better than I talk. Um, I guess that's debatable. Uh, <laughs> if someone sees my, my mini typos that I often have to go back and correct. Um, when you're blogging folks, you're often blogging fast and then you go back and back at it, but that's, that's the way it goes because you want to get information out there. So that's it for now. Again, smarthomeweekly.net. If you want to check out some of the writing, go to technology.fm or go to the smarthomeshow.com. That'll actually take you to the smarthome show on technology.fm. And lastly, stay tuned for a very fun podcast tomorrow. Uh, maybe if you want to listen to it this weekend on talking about what we saw happen in Smart Home for 2015. Hope you have a lot of fun with that one. 
All right, folks, that's it. Here's my conversation with Philip Robb of Beta. Well, I'm really happy to have Philip Robb, co-founder, CMO, and head of retail for Beta, which is a really interesting new retail store for consumer IT. Welcome to the show, Philip. Thank you, Michael. You know, the reason... Yeah, um, the reason I wanted to have you on is you guys, the news of what you guys are doing came out last week and you have your first store. Uh, you launched it, I think, was it last Thursday? Uh, we launched uh, last Friday evening. Last Friday evening. And how is it going so far? Uh, it's, you know, it's really been a whirlwind, um, but uh, all, overall it's been really exciting. Um, really strong uh, reception from both uh, the Palo Alto community, uh, but more importantly, I think there's just the hardware um, community in general. We'll get into this idea of selling consumer IoT and smart home products at retail and discuss it in a broader context. And because I think this is something putting the business plan together, you probably have thought a lot about. Uh, but I, I think let's start by explaining what beta is so people can understand it uh, for the show. So if you were to give us your elevator pitch for beta, what is it? Ah, uh, the elevator pitch. Ah, <laughs> uh, because there's so many different components. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I think the the general premise of of beta is that we are um, making it easier for makers uh, to bring their products to market and for consumers ultimately to have that out-of-box experience where they can touch and feel um, products in in a... um, just a very easy to use uh, manner and around you know educated folks that, that can tell them the, the benefits of, of of the goods and services that we offer. Well, that's a great elevator pitch. There are some specific things that I think are interesting about your model that I want to ask a few questions about so people can understand it. Yep. One of them is the way in which you guys actually have a relationship with product companies, right? So you, the traditional retail model, uh, you buy a bunch of inventory. Oftentimes there's, there's a, a distributor, you, you stock it in the back and you, you're, you know, you're investing your, your current assets or your, 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 your money in the inventory. You guys have a different model. I think someone described it as retail as a service yep. and someone on my social feed compared it almost to a showroom model. So it's, but instead of a showroom for, uh, retailers, uh, or, you know, if you're like a melee or like a, mm-hmm. uh, a whirlpool, you'll have a showroom that that shows retailers of the product, you're actually a showroom for direct consumers. Yes, that's absolutely right. We are a, a showroom. Um, retail as a service is, is also a very accurate description, I think, of what we're doing. Um, and you're absolutely right in that we don't, uh, we don't buy the goods. Um, we work off more of a subscription model. Um, and so makers subscribe to space and services uh, within beta. Um, and the general idea is that that allows us to um, lower the barriers of entry for you know, companies that maybe have uh, a singular product uh, or um, you know, maybe just even have a prototype. Um, and the whole idea and the premise around the showroom is that you know, by rather than in, in changing the business model in this approach, it, it, we don't feel obligated or forced that we are trying to sell goods um, to consumers under any kind of false pretenses or really trying to push push something, you know, we're really here to educate um, our our visitors and guests so that you know, they feel that they're walking away and understanding solutions um, within kind of our four respective uh, areas. So, for example, in the store we have connected home, uh, which we call uh, home. Uh, we have play, uh, and play is kind of uh, 
products like Wonder Workshop. Uh, we've got the um, BB-8 by Sphero, uh, Osmo. Again, these are learning tools for, for kids right. or just a more robotic type of you know, products. Um, we've got our move section, um, in store, uh, which are like boosted boards. Uh, we have uh, electronic bikes, things around kind of movement. And then our last area is, is, uh, sensory goods, uh, we call sense and things like AR, VR, um, and, and more kind of like very high tactile, um, you know, types of products. And, um, you know, for us, again, it's, we want to be product experts where we are trained by the makers, uh, and by having a showroom experience versus a kind of a sales type of experience, this allows us to have much more kind of immersive, you know, one-on-one conversations and do it in, in the, under the guise of um, education and exploration rather than, you know, kind of commission and, and sales like most retailers do. What fascinates me is this idea of letting people put their product into a retail environment and gather data and get reactions. And this may be way before the traditional, we're ready to sell in a thousand store, brick and mortar storefronts. It may, like you said, it may be just one storefront. And, you know, I know that the Teforia tea makers down there, and this, this mm-hmm. is an interesting product. They were at my smart kitchen summit just last month. Uh, and I know that Alan and his team are not necessarily ready to put this thing in, in a target, but that they're getting feedback and response now uh, around this product is really pretty interesting. Yeah, it's it's great. I mean, we um, uh, Chris uh, from Teforia, uh, one of the co-founders and, and their CTO, I believe, uh, he was in uh, him and his team were in uh, on Friday evening as well as on Saturday. Uh, you know, they were brewing tea up, uh, talking to. Um, you know, people kind of coming in and really it was just, it, it, like you said, it's exactly that ability to come in, experience, um, get the feedback, you know, directly from, from the consumer, um, and have their product showcased. And I mean, it really is such, it is an eye stopper, you know, when you see it's such a beautiful product, um, and we're rolling out, uh, you know, more of these types of events. Um, and, uh, you know, part of that does come with your subscription service as well as even the companies that are even still maybe even a little gun shy. Um, you know, we have a thing called open nights, which are going to allow companies just to come in even for an evening or two, uh, to show their products off, um, and to, you know, meet with, um, guests and to kind of really be able to evangelize their products and get that feedback. Um, because as you said, it's, it's critical to understand, you know, what are the, um, the barriers before you you know start working with you know larger you know retailers. It's almost like it's a, a mini kind of conference, if you will, or like uh, you know these they're basically renting a space to get face to face reaction, which I think is really intriguing. And they're doing even by the day, it sounds like because you're having these specialized events. Mm-hmm. But I also think you guys have some sort of uh, data you're gathering around usage. I uh, and maybe you can explain this to a little. To our audience, a little bit better than I can. Yeah. But you have your iPads, and people are able to kind of ask questions, etc. So, what actually, what kind of data are you gathering other than just kind of person-to-person discussion? Yep. Yeah. The um, yeah, anecdotal feedback is obviously you know always important. Um, but what we're doing is really, as you mentioned, honing in on on a lot of that data analysis that we can share back. Um, you know, traditionally, retailers have been very skittish about sharing that information. Um, I know when I was at Nest, that was something that we always would ask for, and we we're always told, you know, no, that we didn't, you know, that that was proprietary. Um, we believe that the data should be open and should be shared with our partners. You know, it's their product; it's it's essentially it is their data. Um, so what we're doing is we have uh, we've partnered with a company called Retail Next, 
uh, based in San Jose. Uh, and you know what we are are doing is that um, you know throughout the store we have the ability um, when a uh, customer comes in and is uh, at a um, you know looking at products. Um, you know we have like heat mappings. We understand exactly what the pattern um, our product. How are people? Are they walking by it? Are they stopping? Once they've stopped at a particular product, um, you know, what's the average dwell time? So meaning like are they you know, standing in front of the product for uh, you know, 10 seconds and you know, they don't find it very interesting or are they really engaging and, and looking at it and touching and feeling it? Are they picking the product up? Um, are they, uh, you know, how long are they standing there? Um, and so those are all, that's all feedback that we can provide. Um, and it really comes in handy, both from a sales standpoint, um, but also, I mean, from a marketing standpoint. I mean, imagine if you're creating a, you know, a video, um, and you're trying to, you know, communicate your, um, you know, the features of your product, and the average dwell time is 20 seconds, um, and you know, you create a video and it's two minutes long. The odds are somebody's not going to stand there that long, so you figure you probably need to, you know, make it a 30 second video. So it's all things we can do to kind of help um, in in various capacities. You started to talk about how when you were at Nest, you were told by traditional retailers, uh, we don't have this kind of data. If we have this kind of data, we want to share this kind of data. So this is actually a nice segue to talk about how traditionally retailers sell this stuff Mm -hmm. and the relationship they have with uh, hardware manufacturers or manufacturers of devices and how that may be broken. I mean, let's talk about that. I mean, when I look at the broader retail marketplace for brick and mortar and them trying to sell these next generation connected devices. I think that by and large, they've done a terrible job. I mean, mm-hmm. um, there have been some attempts by some companies and certainly, you know, companies like Target are trying to do experiments. Like they basically have labs like they have in San Francisco in their open house and trying to recreate the experience. But, but basically these are just very small toes in the water. I'd mm-hmm. love to hear your thoughts on how traditional retail doesn't work very well to sell connected to devices and maybe some of the things you saw you, you think you could change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I've had the the fortune of working with a lot of these, you know, large kind of big box retailers, uh, both when I was at Nest and, and I was at Nintendo for, for six years on the manufacturing side, you know, before as well. And the problem with, with larger retailers is that they're um, – they're bogged by, down by two things. One is that there is, I think, a lot of kind of bureaucracy in the sense that you've got, you know, uh, so many buyers and so many kind of hurdles and, and things that, that a uh, maker has to go through in order to kind of get their products sold in. And, you know, that can take sometimes upwards of almost a year to get your products uh, into to a retailer. Um, and then number two is that I think there's a lot of limitations uh, on software and technology where companies have been very slow to adopt kind of new technologies um, and you know at, tar- at times you know their their systems are pretty archaic, and so it definitely makes for I think a broken process. Um, especially you know I was at an event recently where a retailer was walking through their um, buying process and how long it takes, and said you know it can take upwards of a year. And there was an individual in the audience, and he asked a question, and he said, you know I'm I'm a maker, you know I'm. Um, and my you know, fellow makers out here are out there and we're sol- solving real-world problems, but I feel like all you're doing is creating more problems. <laughs> and it really spoke true to, you know, I think, you know, this frustration that there's so many companies that are doing so many new and innovative things in the marketplace, yet the, um, 
but the, the the retailers aren't the ones that are evolving and you know creating um, new systems and opportunities for these guys to be successful. And uh, I think that you know it rings true as to kind of what you're seeing. And um, and we felt like, hey, you know what? Let's do this thing from the ground up. Let's actually create a better model. Let's create something that we know um, the the uh, hardware uh, community is really kind of clamoring for. Um, and then ultimately, we think that that makes for a much better consumer experience. Yeah, if you look at the technology sales, technology products at retail evolution over the past two decades, I mean, I've written about you guys, and I put you in the context of like, maybe this is the IoT superstore we've been looking for, because if you look at the 90s, when the personal computing revolution really started, you ha- you saw the birth of CompUSA, mm-hmm. Computer City, and that worked really great for like a decade, because you just had these basically giant stores with aisles, it was almost like an Office Max, but instead of Office stuff, is computer peripherals. Mm-hmm. And it worked really well, but eventually um, you saw guys like Target and Best Buy uh, take over, and and that and on and Amazon really kind of took over. Mm-hmm. And then I think that last decade has really been defined for by brick and mortar retail by the Apple Store is kind of this. This is the experiential retail experience that is really cutting edge for technology. But I still feel like you know everyone's taking their cues from Apple Store. And you've seen some of this, but I don't think they've really gotten it right because I think as you move from this wave of computer peripherals and touchscreen interfaces, which is, you know, the, we saw in the mobile revolution, it's, it's worked okay. But as we move to connected devices, you have to really see this stuff in action. I, I kind of feel like the, tar- the what they're doing at Target, at least intentionally and aspirationally, is a good idea. And I'd be mm-hmm. curious to get your ideas around what they're doing. But I'd love to hear, you know, kind of where you see the state of big retail and maybe some of their aspirations to change their their business models and their their in store experiences, and are they doing a good job? Um, I, generally, I'd say no. Um, you know, part of the problem I think with with large retailers is that if they are beholden to Wall Street, right? I mean, you look at companies like J.C. Penney and what Ron Johnson tried to do there, and when they take big risks of changing their entire um, you know, model. They're you know going after a different kind of demographic and consumer. It, you know, you run the risk of of um, losing lar- you know billions of dollars in sales if you, you know, make kind of the wrong turn. So I think, generally speaking, retailers tend to be somewhat risk averse. Um, and when they do take risks, it's opening, you know, oh, it's, let's open an innovation lab or let's open. It's what a- I would call skunks work. Like they'll do a skunk works project, but it's it's never part of the core. No. operational uh-uh. flow. No, absolutely not. And so I think, you know, I, I look at, you know, the target open house um, and I've, you know, I, I've actually hosted that team. They were just down here um, just as we were opening, right? Actually, before we opened on Friday, they kind of came in and peeked in and, um, you know, and again, like you said, I have respect for, I think what they're trying to do um, in regards to um, they see an opportunity and they're trying to do something differently. Um, I think inherently, though, the problem is is that again, there's always this. Um, there's still these guardrails, right? You know that you have where they're really never given the opportunity to kind of step outside and, and to build something truly from the ground up because they still have to play within certain systems, um, and it still is part of you know a larger organization. And I feel like what we were able to do is is again looking at it. Um, you know, the, our core team is made up of uh, we have four individuals um, that were the co-founders. Uh, our CEO is a software engineer, um, you know, through and through, and and you know, Vibu is 
um, he always thought about things through that lens of how do you make use software to make things easier for, for people and how to use the technology. Um, myself being more kind of the sales and marketer, you know, I've always looked at things through kind of the consumer experience and, as well as the maker experience. Um, and then I have two, two other co-founders who have backgrounds in both operations and in um, uh, engineering and program management. And again, so we've always taken it from, from different angles and lenses and, and, and have looked to solve a problem. And I feel like the retailers are chasing a trend and not solving a problem. And that's why I think we're different um, than I think a lot of the things that you're kind of seeing out there coming out of some of these innovation labs. I think the difficulty is with these products, you have to see them in action. I think maybe a good analog, I think, and I think what a company is doing right is Perch, for example, at least in the kitchen vertical, kitchen and bath vertical. Yep. And so you can actually get in there and turn ovens on and try it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's a similar concept with connected products. You actually have to turn them on and try it. And even then, it's, it's it can be somewhat limited. So you have to create like maybe – visualizations within the storefront to actually see what it might look like in the home, for example. But so I think that's a vast leap for these guys, but also like the stores aren't often set up for this. Like the in-store experience is going to be hard to transform if you're working in a traditional target environment or if you're working within a traditional Costco environment, you can't transform from, it's hard to get from here to there. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, you know, um, I think sometimes too, they ha- sometimes almost like they have too much research um, and and data that you know, try to formulate their opinions. And sometimes when you're solving problems, I think the data needs to pose the problem. But um, you know, smart thinking and really uh, figuring out how to do things in a more unique way or, or what get you um, help you solve those problems. It's you know, for example. Somebody reached out to us uh, and they're telling us about the Target open house. And again, I don't know if you've been in or if anybody's been in this space, but it, it it's a lot of um, there's a lot of acrylic. And the one of the things that uh, feedback I heard was that they their consumer data said that consumers would actually shop the the items if they used real life items. So if they put a crib in the baby's room, you know that people would actually try to shop the crib and not shop the you know the devices that you know the connected devices within in the room. And, but to me, like you lose a sense of humanity in doing that. Right. And people want to feel like that they're warm and, and it's a welcome space if you're buying things for a child's room. Um, and, and so again, I think it goes back to that, the having too much data sometimes um, is going to you know, take away, I think you know, from that, that just overarching uh, common sense of what 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 is right and what what makes feel people feel um, engaged to uh, you know, touch and feel these types of products. You know, another issue, and I feel bad that I'm just being up traditional retail, but I, th- I think it's good because, uh, in a sense, I think they need to, to learn. And I think you you've been giving a lot of thought to this, but I think this is a really tough part. I mean, if you look at like one thing that Apple has done right is the you know geniuses and having people that really feel passionate about the product and know. Yep. But if you go into uh, a Home Depot, if you go into Lowe's or you go into Target and ask someone about the connected home product or the IoT product, there's a very good chance they really don't know what they're talking about. Yep. And and so I'd be interested to hear how, you know, first of all, your guys' approach um, uh, to making sure that the folks on the retail, st- on the store floor know what they're talking about, yep. but also how do you solve that problem more broadly? Uh, yeah, it, it's such a challenge. Um, you know, when I was at Nest, uh, you know, you would walk into um, you know a traditional retailer, 
uh, you know, so you walked into a, a DIY kind of home improvement store and, you know, you have to remember you're one of like, you're in a hundred thousand square foot box. Uh, you're one of, you know, you know 80,000 SKUs. Um, <laughs> yeah. and so, you know, the, when somebody asks you a question who maybe is accustomed to, yeah. you know, asking questions all day long about, you know, lumber and, yeah. and other They're things. selling a lot more duct tape and glue than they're selling Nest thermostats. Absolutely right. So, you know, when somebody asks you a question about a thermostat, you know, you may, you're probably not going to, you know, be too uh, educated on that unless if the Nest rep had just left. And so, you know, I do realize and, and understand it's a huge challenge for, um, for, for retailers. Uh, you know, one of the things is, is, you know, it, I think it's having more specialized departments. So for example, you know, the biggest cost in retail, um, is, is labor. And so I think these companies really, if they feel that this is a high touch area, you know, just like if you walk into Home Depot, there is somebody dedicated in the paint section, right? That person only works in paint, um, because paint is a very high margin, high, um, gross revenue, you know, product for, for these companies. So I think the same way, if they really want to develop, um, you know, connected, uh, home type of products and, and be seen as the expert, they need to make sure that they're dedicating the resources and labor against that so that there's somebody who is focused solely in, in the building or a couple of people that, that know how to talk about these products. Um, you know, I think we've taken on that approach in the sense of, you know, we do feel it's important for us uh, to be highly, our staff to be highly educated and trained. And the way that we're doing that is that we're requiring, um, it's, it, we're, its requirement is twofold. One, that the maker actually comes in and trains our staff. So they, it's not, you can't send us a one pager and, and uh, you know, or a link to a website. Um, it literally is you need to come in um, either in, per, in person to our offices or you know, do something kind of you know, via video chat uh, where you can educate the team and we can have that Q&A and really kind of have that immersiveness um, to, to understand uh, you know, all of the, the, the kind of aspects of the products. Um, and then I think the other piece is too is that you know, we require our staff to, to go and go through this type of training uh, and do um, you know, upwards of uh, you know, highest standards you know, kind of in, in the industry to ensure that uh, they know about what they're talking about. What's the ultimate I, evolution path for this store concept? I mean, I, one of the things I wrote is I, I, I don't see this as a thousand store footprint. I think no. I would really think this would maybe be great to scale to like the top 50 uh, markets in the U S and, and this gives companies a way to really test products uh, in different marketplaces, right? I mean, having this in Miami, having one in New York and having one in Toronto, well, that'd be fantastic if you're like a product manufacturer to get some early feedback. But I, I mean, I think scaling it to like a, you know, a, the number of stores like a, like a, a Home Depot has doesn't even seem like it would be in the model. So what I'd be interested to hear from your side, what is your vision? What do you see this doing in a couple of years? Yeah. You know, I, I actually read your comments and, and um, it's like, okay, there's somebody that, that kind of gets it. Um, you know, I think for us right now, I mean, we are, uh, we just opened the store, uh, in Palo Alto, um, you know, less than a week ago. I mean, yeah. we're committed right now into making this work, um, figuring out, you know, getting the learning from here, understanding, you know, where do we need to improve, um, from the overall store environment, get, making sure that the technology, making sure the onboarding of, of, um, uh, you know, companies is, is done right. Um, you know, but ultimately we do see this as a scalable business. Um, but you know, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, when we see it as a scalable business, I, I don't necessarily think it's, um, 
a business that you're going to you know scale you know to like upwards of a thousand type of boxes that just that that to me just seems um not within the realm of possibility i'd love to hear the origin story i from my understanding you guys all came from nest so how did this was this like over beers one night or you discussing your your frustration with traditional retail what was the genesis of this concept um you know the it's in the early um kind of the the initial genesis was um, so Vibu Norby, who's uh, our our CEO and one of my co-founders. Um, I th- you know, he found himself last, I think it was last holiday season, kind of out looking for um, you know products uh, you know to buy either for himself or to buy kind of as, as gifts. Um, and you know he's this the quintessential individual that you know is on Kickstarter on uh, you know Indiegogo, you know the latest and greatest technologies, always kind of wanting to buy everything up. Um, in fact, I think he actually bought one of the, the, the hoverboards that's now, you know, catching on fire. Um, and, but, you know, he was always looking for, um, the latest and greatest and he couldn't, and he went out to see, you know, but he also wanted to see if he could actually go and touch and feel something before he bought it and realized like it just, that wasn't available for him. Um, and it was kind of a frustrating type of process. And so, uh, you know, he wanted to learn more. So, you know, Based off our location, uh, you know, kind of in the Silicon Valley and working at Nest, you know, he started reaching out to the different resources that he had, you know, people and friends that he knew that were makers um, and started asking, you know, why these guys weren't at retail. And they started telling him about, like, the barriers to entry, why it just didn't make sense for their business. Um, you know, then ultimately he you know, came to me. Um, it, it did kind of happen, you know, ironically over a couple beers in, in, in a pub in London uh, while we were both over there for work. Um, and... You know, I, I kind of started explaining to him some of the, the the trials and tribulations that I was going through at Nest and my frustrations. And, you know, from that, you know, started talking to others, you know, in the organization that uh, also kind of realized and saw that there were some, you know, definitely some real world problems that needed to be fixed. Um, and I think, you know, we, we kind of got together as a team. And um, like I said earlier, we've got, it's great that we have these, you know, four different kind of core competencies that really complement one another. Um, and that's kind of, you know, how we, how beta got started and, um, uh, you know, where we're at today. Well, I think all great business ideas should come together over some sort of alcohol. So it doesn't necessarily have to be beer, but I think it's probably good to start that way. So I'm sure there's many a business have been founded. (laughs) Yes. Lots of great stories. Uh, so one of the things I told you I wanted to do before we let you go was, uh, have some predictions for 2016. Um, you think a lot about consumer IOT and we're in the, that eight, part of the year where we're kind of making our predictions. So what are some of the big trends that you think will happen in consumer IOT? It could be smart or more broad, mm-hmm. uh, that you're excited about for next year. Um, you know, it's going to really be interesting, um, within the hardware space to see if there is a common, um, language or protocol uh, that companies start, you know, gravitating towards or adopting. You know, one of the things that we're starting to see is, you know, when I was at, at, at Nest, you know, there was, um, there was always this, oh, well, everything's going to work off of a hub, um, you know, wink, wink, wink. Um, you know, we, I think we kind of saw what happened with, you know, with Quirky and, and that kind of whole project and it's kind of, you know, died off. But, you know, now I think with the emergence of, um, you're seeing HomeKit uh, from Apple, um, thread from you know, Nest and Google. Um, it's going to really be interesting, I think, to see uh, um, if they're how products are integrating with one another. Um, because the, the biggest 
piece that I think hardware manufacturers and makers are going to have to figure out in, in 2016 is the, the relevancy, right? I mean, there's a, a lot of products that are being manufactured and developed, but um, it's really finding out, like, what, what is it the consumer really wants as you're starting to kind of go a little bit more mainstream with this? Um, I think we're starting to get outside of kind of this early adopter, you know, phase and, and move into um, uh, a new territory where it's not quite mass, but definitely with all of these retailers and, and a lot of kind of the, um, the big talk about IoT, it's, it's making sure that, you know, there's, um, that makers are, are telling, certainly tell a more relevant story um, because that's how, you know, they're ultimately going to scale. Yeah, I think that's good. I mean, I think that we're starting to see some consolidation among the frameworks. I think the acquisition or kind of merger of universal plug and play with uh, what the Open Interconnect Consortium is doing mm-hmm. is, is interesting. And there's some commonality among core technologies now between OIC, UPMP, as well yep. as uh, all seen, all join. So I think you're you're going to start to see some of that stuff come together. Um, and yeah, we're kind of to throw in like a. a the, kind of the phrase that Sanos were using, like we're kind of in that early mass majority. We're trying to get to yep. that tipping point. <laughs> yeah. throw, got to throw a little Gladwell in there. Uh, that I think we're, I think 2016 could be a really interesting year. Or so, but I really appreciate you coming on and talking. I think retail and the evolution of retail is going to be one of the big stories. Um, I think a lot of people are watching you guys because I think what you're doing is an interesting model. Well, well, thank you. Uh, you really appreciate uh, obviously the opportunity to uh, to chat with you and. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think you know what we're doing is is pretty unique, and um, you know we uh, uh, you know hope that uh, you know we can kind of continue to, to um, evolve and drive uh, interest in and uh, you know and again you know it's for us it's not that competitive nature. It's more of really just making sure that you know we're we're providing a platform for makers to be successful, um, and you know we're working you know very closely I think with makers with retailers um, because we just want to see a, a better. Um, a better model uh, that exists for uh, you know, for the hardware community. All right, and one request for 2016, uh, Seattle. That's the next, that's your next store, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll put it right next to the Amazon store. <laughs> Sounds good. Hey, Philip, thanks a lot, man. All right, Michael, you take care. Well, that's it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Philip Rob. And again, if you want to check them out, go to beta.com. Again, B8DA.com. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we will have an, another podcast coming out tomorrow. Also, I just want to mention that I will be at CES, and we will be doing a Smart Home Show from CES. And right now, the time is on Thursday the 7th at 1 p.m. at the Innova booth. Innova is a company that I that was a sponsor of my Smart Kitchen Summit, and they were nice enough to invite me over and do a show there. So I will have more details about that. But if you're going to CES, maybe uh, just kind of pencil that down on your calendar, 1, o- 1 o'clock on the show floor in the sands at the Innova booth. I'll have more specifics later, but you can you can find that uh, on online, find out where that is. But again, it'll be in the sands, 1 o'clock Thursday, Vegas. Be there, be square. All right, folks, that's it for now. We'll talk to you soon.